everyone. This is Mark Vina with more insights and strategy. Today is Saturday, uh, September 7th, 2019. If you hear music in the background, that's because um, my guest and I are sitting in the bar, one of the bars at the Grand Hyatt uh, in Berlin. Um, we've spent the last five days kind of trucking through a lot of things at, uh, at the show and um, uh, a lot of interesting stuff that we want to kind of get through for the, over the next 20, 25 minutes. I've got uh, my partner in crime, who I've seen multiple <laughs> times here um, on different events, Rob Pegaguero. Rob, introduce yourself. This is Rob Pegaguero for Yahoo Finance and USA Today and Wirecutter and Fierce Video and a bunch of other places. I, too, have been wandering around the uh, IFA tech trade show in a uh, jet-lagged haze <laughs> in the past <laughs> this entire week, seeing a lot of interesting devices. And uh, now I've got a little better sense of where the electronics industry is heading over the next six months. And by the way, before we begin, if you ever have a, a travel question, Rob is the guy to talk to. Uh, the man has saved me lots of aggravation. Ask He's... me anything about airports. Because <laughs> <laughs> he has spent a lot of time there. I, I have. Uh, but uh, no, it's been, a, it's been really an interesting show. And um, the, I think we've got to probably tee up the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was a, a number of really, you know, air quotes, hotly anticipated um, keynotes. And the first one really, and it was extremely well attended, it was an action-packed room. It was the uh, the CEO of um, Huawei uh, presented, Richard... Uh, Richard Yu, Richard the, Yu. the CEO of their consumer group, not not the, the CEO. Oh, I, CEO. Thought he, I thought he was the CEO. Uh, yeah, their org chart is probably a little complex. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I thought I saw CEO there. Oh, maybe oh, CEO of their consumer group. Yeah. You know? Lots of CEOs over at Huawei. You, you can only have one chief executive officer. I don't know when this it's yeah. title inflation. Yeah, so, so there you go. There's some confusion right off the bat. Yeah. But you know, you know, obviously Huawei has been in the news for a long period of time. You know, they're a massive China organization. You know, most consumers know them about their phones and some of the other consumer electronics that they do. But they're really a massive organization within China that has their tentacles into a lot of different things. And uh, what was interesting about this keynote, and the reason why it was so hotly anticipated, is that at last year's um, event, um, you know, there was this, I guess this you know, probably almost not, not even a year into the first year of the Trump administration, and there was a lot of, um, I think it, it, it's fair to say it was a fairly combative tone that they yes, took during that yeah. presentation. And I think what people were expecting at this presentation and, you know, from my perspective, the big news was that the, the IFA senior management organization, um, uh, Christian Gorka and um, Jens Hightaker did a marvelous job, in my, in my view, of really kind of setting up a very um, non-combative atmosphere they, without taking sides, you know, on, on, the, on the trade issue. Um, talked, you know, really eloquently about, you know, the need for cooperation and, uh, they, they use a, froke, uh, a phrase co-innovation to talk a little bit about, you know, hey, you know, the world is a better place when uh, the, the world is in harmony, the great countries of the world in harmony are, are in trade. And He's not a fan of tariffs. No, I don't think he is. You know, but he did it in an extraordinarily um, sensitive and, right. and manner. You know, I mean, even um, a certain person in the White House, I don't think, could have objected <laughs> to the overall tone. It was very, very conciliatory. He'd find something to complain about. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Keep, keep his iPhone away from him because he would have been tweeting about it. <laughs> But the thing that was fascinating to me is, again, we're in Germany, so hopefully it's not too a, a too confusing analogy. But I thought they, you know, they really set up a um, kind of an environment where, you know, a, we're going to throw a 60 mile hour, you know, breaking ball to uh, Aaron Judge, and you're going to hit it 900 <laughs> feet. I mean, they, the Huawei 
um, Kino really could have been a game changer in things in terms of just setting the tone. You know, really, you know, not 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 to say they shouldn't he shouldn't have talked about technology, which really was ninety nine point nine percent of the presentation. But to me, it was just a massively missed opportunity for them to kind of dispel some of the hyperbole about Huawei, um, maybe articulate a, um, a reasonable defense in terms of some of the accusations that have been hurled at them. Uh, because they are viewed, I think, by, by most people outside of Asia as, as bad guys. And without taking a position on that, you would think they would have, I think, Rob, I, you, th you think they would have probably mounted some type of defense, but it turned out to be... Exactly. The, I think the word security came up once in, the, in Mr. Yu's entire talk. And the weird thing is, Huawei has made these points before. They know how to make these points. They, they bought full-page ads in American newspapers in March saying, like, look, this is what we do. We're, we're not an arm of the Chinese government or the People's Liberation <laughs> Army or anything. You know, and we, we're inviting the press come <coughs> to our headquarters in Shenzhen. We'll, we'll show you stuff. We'll show you stuff we haven't opened to the press before. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of points they can make. They can point out that, you know, in terms of actual evidence of, of backdoors, no proof, nothing. Um, you know, and you and to your point, I think they could have set the, 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 the definition tone for what a backdoor is. Right. What was just remarkable about it, and you and I have talked about it about, for about nine hours after the thing was over, is that uh, it was just, to me, it was, you know, they had to know that this was going to be the big... 800-pound right. gorilla in the room. In fact, that's the way a, a Christian kind of teed it, uh, teed it off. Yeah. And, and Instead, I, we got a lot of detail about the How wonderful they are uh, and how wonderful 5G is. Five G. I mean, five, one single chip for a smartphone that has your 5G radio and everything else in it, that's a big deal. No, it is a big deal. It the, is the a big deal. The current 5G phones, you don't want to buy them because they have separate chips for the 5G radio and everything else. So they're bigger than they should be. They use more electricity than they should. Battery life is shorter than it should. They're warmer. They use it more real estate right. on, on, within the phone, which is yeah, obviously... They're doing... Yeah. Huawei's doing interesting work, but, uh, you know, they do have a reputational issue. And, you know, what better time to address it when you're literally talking to the West in the middle of Europe? Yeah, so, I mean, so, you know, two things. You know, and you said it at the, at the right after the, the conclusion of the event was, you know, it was conspicuous, highly conspicuous, they didn't say anything, and to me, again, I'm, a, I'm an analyst, I'm not a reporter, but to me that raised, kind of raised red flags, the fact that they didn't mention anything about it, because you just, in the absence of information, human nature is to just get more suspicious yeah. about something. So that, and it's all speculation, but it, it I, I don't know, my supposition, without any facts, of course, is that I suspect that they were directed by let's shall we say senior Chinese <laughs> officials not to go into it it was just too much of a big opportunity I right mean, I and mean, of course in some ways their task of trying to counter this perception has gotten harder because what have we seen in the last month we've seen that Cathay Pacific an airline based in Hong Kong not mainland China has had to fire their CEO and I guess they're firing individual flight attendants because they're <laughs> they've been a little too sympathetic towards the protesters in Hong Kong so right. that makes it hard for any company in China to say no we don't take orders from the government because apparently <laughs> a company that is not actually based in the mainland which is you know under this special autonomous region does take orders from Beijing yeah in all fairness I mean they the they, they um, Richard did a terrific job of kind of you know, uh, showcasing uh, Huawei's, you know, uh, leadership, uh, technology leadership uh, in the 5G space. But I don't think that, yeah. that it was ever in dispute. Right. You know, um, one thing Americans should realize, you know, in the U.S., Huawei is a brand. You might see their phones on the 
like the the phone's list of a prepaid carrier. Mm-hmm. In the rest of the world, like Europe, whatever, they're right up there with Samsung. They're very they popular. got billboards oh, everywhere. Yeah. They have a huge Absolutely. market share. Yeah, I, well, I just, you know, again, it just floors me that when you have a, a wonderful opportunity like that, at least to try to chisel away at this, you know, brand, um, it's really a brand reputation that they have. I just think it was, it was again, a, a massive missed opportunity, and, and I can't, you know, really overstate that. And then you contrast that to the second keynote in the afternoon by um, the uh, president of um, Qualcomm, uh, Chris, uh, Cristiano uh, Aman, who I, I thought, you know, did a marvelous job. Frankly, it was he did a nice job in terms of kind of setting the t- stage for uh, their value proposition. You know, what their vision, their a- and their aspirations are in the five G space. Actually, Rob and I spoke to him last night uh, extensively at, at a Qualcomm event. After it, and it was um, I, I thought he was spot on in terms of kind of this, and it was in the in, in the presentation where he talked extensively about, you know, the 5G is going to enable usage models that we can't even conceive of right now. And that's been true of every major technology. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's not just isolated to 5G. But I think that's a big, big point, that there are going to be usage models that come out of it because of the latency advantages with 5G, the, the, the distance. See, what I'm, I'm most interested in is not even what can 5G do on a mobile device. Because, you know, our, our phones are pretty capable devices these days. Mm-hmm. Is this going to be real competition for residential broadband? Yes. Because with a lot for a lot of people in the U.S., and I think it will it's the be. cable company or nothing. So if we can get 5G to to deliver broadband without a data cap to homes, yes, that'll be important, much and, more and so all, than a phone. And it's funny, and even though the 5G uh, infrastructure is is still very much a work in progress, and it's going to be several years before it gets fully deployed. Um, the, rea- the testing that has been thus, uh, done thus far, and you've seen some of the trials in Chicago and in other markets where, you know, it, yeah, it's Sprint has turned on 5G in D.C. Yeah, yeah it's, it's remarkable. You know, you get, you get really, um, you know, Ethernet-like uh, speeds. And, uh, you know, I think the, the IoT implications of this, the fact, can it, you know, can it be a worthy um, alternative to... Um, uh, to you know, to your cable provider, and by the way, I think that's a good thing because it's going to put more pressure on the cable guys. They get more competitive from yeah. a pricing standpoint. So I look at it from a business implications standpoint because in many cases, you know, you only have one choice, and the cable companies know that, and you know that does affect Do they the, way ever, they, yeah. the, the, the way they price things. So, but I, I thought his presentation was marvelous. Um, you know, I don't think, uh, you know, I think he could have gone down to kind of a, um, and not to say that the, uh, the, the the Huawei presentation was negative, because it wasn't. It was just absent of some type of spirit of defense. Very hardware specific. We, we very got hardware. very into the weeds, but all the different, uh, you know, AI uh, frameworks, the particular chip supports, the, the power efficiency of this and that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I, you know, but I think, uh, you know, the, again, Christian's presentation was, you know, it was it was very upbeat. Um, again, it had a vision flavor. Um, didn't get nasty at all. You, know, you got to tip your hat to that because th- that could have happened. And I, I, you know, right. obviously, you, you were saying he, he resisted the temptation to do any uh, trash talking. Uh, yes, and I, you know, and, and God knows there's other executives that would not have that it would have <laughs> taken the bait. Right. You know? Yeah. So you got to give him credit for that. But I thought it was a marvelous presentation and. Uh, you know, now that, you know, and Qualcomm has got right now, you know, a lot of, um, there's a lot of opportunity they've got. They've got the Apple nastiness put behind them. 
um, you know, clearly, uh, they, in fact, they announced some interesting stuff. They announced a 5G uh, embedded antenna solution. It's a complete uh, solution that should allow OEMs to get to lower cost f uh, 5G phones. Oh, so, that, so that was newsworthy as well, by the way. But, um, you know, again, I just think it was kind of night and day when I kind of, you know, take a back. I think that was the big news of the show is that uh, it, was, it was completely a night and day type of presentation, you know. Then, of course, we had the terrific presentation, I thought, for different reasons. Well, let's talk a little bit about the presentation that Anthony did, Anthony Wood, the CEO of Roku, did. Um, because that was kind of, you know, it, it was, to me, and maybe this is overstating, uh, understanding things, it was a great meat and potatoes presentation. It wasn't, a, in fact, it was not a flashy Hollywood, Las Vegas style, you know, exploding no, it, graphics. it was the most concise tech CEO keynote I've seen in a while. Right. 24 minutes, start to finish, including a couple of minutes yes. to play various videos. Yes. Uh, you know, I'm used to people going on and on like they're being paid by the minute, but he <laughs> he made his point basically saying like, <coughs> you know, if you're going to succeed in connected TVs, I don't call them smart TVs because some of them, I don't know if that's giving them too much credit. <laughs> no, I, I think it's funny, terminology is important. You know, smart TV is, you know, is a, a very broad category that includes yeah. some of the embedded systems that the, you know, that Sony and others that were, you know, that have implemented years ago that really haven't gone anywhere from a customer reception standpoint. And connected TVs, I think, is more cons yeah. consistent with... And so know, his whole point was, you know, the, the same way the PC industry needed somebody to do an operating system that to cross platform, order, I guess. Yes. And smartphones, we have Android. So his message was, you know, essentially, we're that company. Yes. You, know, you want to have an operating system people know that's going to be supported, go with us. And he pointed out, I guess, in the U.S., one in every one in three, three connected TVs this year, uh, sold this year, had their, their OS on it. And they're expanding the Roku TV program, which is not just the, the, the software stack they do, but a hardware reference design and support for all that to Europe starting in the fourth quarter in the U.K. Right. So, you know, that was obviously uh, big news because, as most, I think most people know, Roku has, has had enormous success um, in the United States. They're a clear market share leader. He put some, a couple of charts up that clearly, you know, they show that there's a lot of daylight between them and kind yeah. of the rest of the pack. I mean, people have this misconception. Um, Misconception that Apple TV is actually uh, not to say that Apple TV is doing poorly, but it, it, the numbers don't lie, and there's a huge amount of um, share delta between between both and, and you know the other players in that in the in the uh, streaming space. But I do want to comment though on his style because I just think that you know you and I have seen I've worked for a number yeah. of executives at, at the CEO level that uh, you know would never have presented like that. It would have been much more of a Hollywood. Um, Type yeah, of style everyone's got to have their own walk-up music. It's like being at a baseball game. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you know, you get special guest appearances, and you're kind of half celeb show, show yeah. up on stage, rock group show, show yeah. up on stage. That might even happen on Tuesday at the Apple right. event. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. But you know, he it was a very matter-of-fact, um, very um, down-to-earth presentation, and I, I can't. Um, I can't overstate that enough because the reality is that, that they have a working strategy in the United States. You know, you look at a, at a vendor like Amazon, which obviously announced uh, some new Fire TV stick stuff. You know, they're, they're trying to make a major play into the European market, <coughs> excuse me, as well. And uh, they announced actually they're going down a slightly different path simply because they have a content play. Yeah. And uh, maybe we should talk about it for a second is that, you know, they're hitting the localized content. He's pretty hard. Yeah, so it's really interesting to see how Amazon and Roku are competing because 
you know, on the one hand, Amazon, they're in the content business, so they're competing with everyone whose apps are on their Fire TV sticks and players and, and TVs with Fire TV edition on it. Um, as Anthony Wood pointed out, you know, what we can say to retailers is you know, we're not trying to destroy Compete with, We're yes, not absolutely. an existential threat. Yes. Um, and historically, Amazon has trailed really badly in terms of getting their software, their software built into TVs. And so Roku has a huge lead there. Well, and you said something before, it applies to Amazon as well, but yeah. Roku has been, you know, they, they have really, are really in a leadership position in the embedded space and TVs is that, you know, what I think Roku has allowed, um, the reason why they're so appealing to the TV guys is the heavy lifting a TV manufacturer has to do to stay current, to your yeah. point, you know, uh, you know, to keep fine-tuning um, their software, win the interface race because interfaces are not easy to do. You know, yep. God knows a number of companies have figured out that out the hard way. And you know, the point I made to you uh, this morning was that at Roku, what was it, thirty million devices? I think was the it, number that uh, thirty point five million active users, active which users. is like households. Ha households. So that's actually more devices. Yeah, it was something like seventy something. Million Se yeah, users. seventy million. Yeah. Um, actually, user uh, devices that translates to 30 million um, uh, active users. But the interesting thing about that is that, um, you know, and this is the advantage that Apple enjoys in many cases, is when they came out with a product that utilizes the infamous Apple iOS um, design, you kind of know how to use the product before yep. you even take it out of the box. And let's face it, you could buy a Roku TV, it doesn't really matter what the brand is, of course, the TV manufacturers would. Would yeah. say differently about that. That there are other things to care about than just the interface. But there's something to be said about, hey, you know, I can use this TV out of the box without really spending a whole lot of time right. setting it up. And I think the big issue: anybody who's had a 65-inch or larger TV over the last few years, if you try to use the remote control, and I don't care what the brand is, the change the different settings on the TV, turn the speaker off, do yeah. something interesting, you know, it's to change. Mess. It's a mess. And you know, I have got, I've had um, a couple of TCL Roku TVs, and over the last uh, few years, and they're not only are they marvelous from a value standpoint, but the but just using them from an interface standpoint is oh my god, just so yeah. much easier. Well, I think it's a big advantage. Look at how cars uh, car makers are realizing they should just support CarPlay from Apple and Android Auto from Google because they've all been pretty bad at designing yes. their own front oh, ends BMW for your phones. Been awful. You know, so. Let people who are actually good at interfaces do that stuff and yes. just find some way to have their their UI plug into yours. Right. See, the, the, the interesting contrast with the automobile manufacturers, and it's a very good point you brought up, is that the TV guys, as much as they've tried to kind of own the interface, they really haven't gone very far. They probably see the advantages, you know, less lower engineering costs, um, even though they're, I'm sure they're paying some type of licensing fee to, to Roku. The yeah. heavy lifting, and the fact that they, you know, they're getting a, a best-in-class interface, and the testing development has certainly has to be a lot um, easier for them. On the car side, though, the reason, if you recall, you flash back about four or five, six years, there was a lot of resistance to to yeah. Apple, uh, to um, CarPlay, anything Google Auto, because the car makers um, really saw they they really wanted to own the dashboard and the yep. aftermarket revenue that's associated with it. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, at, at, but they suffer from the same problem. Most of the car yep. guys are just not good at uh, yeah. doing interfaces. You know? yep. But I think that battle's won. I think uh, yes. Apple T uh, CarPlay and, and Android Google, Auto. Yeah, I think that's here to stay. So, um, 
So a couple of other things. Let's talk about because um, you had a chance to see it. I didn't see it, but the Galaxy actually had Galaxy Samsung <laughs> had their Galaxy Fold, the infamous Galaxy yeah, so Fold. The, we're going to call it the Galaxy Fold 1.1. Now, with 50% <laughs> less uh, screen self-destruction, we hope. And, and you know, as people recall, just a couple of months ago, they uh, they announced the um, they didn't allow people to touch it, which was probably for a good reason. Their original Galaxy Fold, and they sent some samples out, and well, guess what? It probably wasn't ready for prime time. They kind of you know a number of them showed that they could it, be broken. It wasn't fairly even easily. ready for like two a.m. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> public yeah, access that's cable. <laughs> that, that's exactly which is shocking. <laughs> Right. It's, it's shocking when you consider where Samsung came from with their battery issues from a couple of years ago. And they've been Galaxy kind of, Note 9, yeah. Just, just kind of getting over that. And, uh, you know, we've gone from exploding batteries to... Um, yeah, so... Yeah. So what they, they said, they basically took the design back into the shop, refined it, so basically the, the screen protector, it, it no longer looks like something you're supposed to peel off. And there are these sort of, like, plastic bits that keep the screen in place at the hinge, which is the tricky part. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they say they tested this thing, but you know what, I wouldn't put too much credence in any review that doesn't reflect at least, you know, two weeks, three weeks with the thing. Right. Yeah, but yeah. If, if you can get past the first few days, because <coughs> I recall there were some people where just, you know, within a few hours of getting their Galaxy Fold review units out of the box, so what you're hearing, Things ladies and gentlemen, is apart. what you're hearing here, ladies and gentlemen, is 20 years of experience that uh, Rob has. With you know, you just can't go to an event and play with something for 15 minutes and say, hey, yeah, you know, yeah, this everything is, looks great for the yeah. first 10 minutes. Right. No, uh, actually, some stuff looks terrible in the first five minutes. Well, and, you know, and I, like I said to you, I think the big issue, I think that reviewers certainly are going to put it through paces, through its paces, is as, you know, does it stand the four-year-old kid yeah. test? Right. You know? I mean, you give a kid a $1,200 phone. And if in three minutes uh, you can I, break I wouldn't, in half. I wouldn't recommend that. No, well, <laughs> no. you know, it, hopefully it's going to be pretty solid, you know, yeah. and, uh, and at least it's some of the feedback that I've heard from folks like yourself yeah. and others that actually looks, you know, promising. Yeah, you it's know? nice. Uh, that said, I am not in the market for a $2,000 phone. I'm not even in the market for a $2,000 laptop, so no thanks. Well, and, but let's also contrast this. We got a, you, he, you and I, uh, Rob, got a chance to go to, the, uh, to a, um, a briefing with LG uh, to, to show us the, a, you know working samples of their dual phone, their LG dual phone, right? Which was interesting in that they're taking a different tact. I mean, they have uh, it's a, it's a standard you know candy bar. It's two separate screens as an option, as an accessory, yeah. and uh, they, the uh, and the advantage, of course, of that is that uh, presumably, and we haven't seen cost prices yet. It probably will. Help, it has to, I think, from a value proposition standpoint, get to a lower price point than what you might see with the with Yeah, the phone. I don't know. Like, I am a skeptic of how many, I mean, Apple can sell a lot of $1,000 phones, but given how often these things get dropped, the screens get cracked, the battery just wears out after a couple of years, I, I don't think it's a great move to spend that much on a phone. Like, I have a Google Pixel 3a, cost me 400 bucks plus tax. I'm very happy with that that particular purchase. So when the new iPhone 11s come out, or whatever, yeah, whatever they're going to be called right. in, a, in a week and a half, you're not going to be up at 4 o'clock in the morning? Uh, that's no. You know, I like having a phone with a headphone jack, and uh, Apple does not seem interested in, in, in my use case there. That's a whole different podcast. Right. Death of a, the, Don't the, get me started. The headphone jack. But I, I, but I will say that, uh, you know, I think, and it, it, it remains to be seen, but I do think there is a usage model for foldable phones, you know, yeah. you know, when you kind of extrapolate it out, you know, with that presumably with, with phones that are robust and work, and, and, and you know, you can't. Hopefully, you can't see the scene, 
But I also think that um, the dual phone, assuming of course it gets to, to, to lower price points because it has to be, um, that there are some applications I think that lend itself, especially when you're doing multitasking and you're working with different right. applications. Now the thing I didn't like about the dual phone is a couple of demos that they showed is that when you, know, when you have this kind of hinge, you know, when you buy the optional second display yeah. and you snap it together, I actually thought it was pretty robust from a design standpoint. Again, not don't take that as as, as a evidence that it's it, they're rock solid quite yet. But I did not like the fact that the apps, or the, the, I think it was a Chrome browser app, yeah. when you were scrolling through a web page, the hint, you know, text would go behind the hinge. Oh, and that's annoying. Yeah, it was annoying to me. Now, yeah. again, in all fairness, they actually even said we're still fine-tuning the apps. They made they went out of their way to point out, hey, we got APIs in place, so developers are not going to have to break their backs porting apps over. But you kind of thought they would if they would have showed one app to a bunch of uh, analysts and a bunch of press people. Let's make sure that we're showing an app that doesn't show yeah. information. You know, that it's intelligent enough to avoid uh, the hinge. The other thing to remember is all these foldable phones, dual screen phones. They're a lot thicker than any phone you've been used to using since before the iPhone was a thing. Mm -hmm. So when you're using these things as just a phone, you've got a, quite a chunk of technology in your hand there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And from a weight standpoint, you know, when you, yeah. they're, they're gonna be heavier than even the largest, um, uh, large form factor smartphone. Yeah. So that's something you have to kind of, um, you kind of have to consider. But it was interesting, and I think that, uh, the, I think the, 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 the uh, takeaway is that you know, the people who did touch, and I didn't get a chance, unfortunately, to do it, but the people who did touch the, um, the fold, like Rob yeah. and others, you know, had, you know, relatively, you know, um, optimistic things to say about it. And it's just nice to see LG kind of take kind of a, a bit of a departure right. approach. With it that, that, and I love the phrase they used. It was almost like they had American marketing at work. <laughs> Practical innovation, you know, which... You know, As opposed to useless innovation. Well, to me, practical innovation is is kind of code for this is something we know we can build with high confidence, and we know it may not we break. We can probably turn a profit on this. We think exactly. Maybe. Last thing I want to talk about before we sign off here, because I just saw a wedding party go through yeah, our. It's, there's a wedding going Saturday on night in Berlin. It, it is true. It's Hope true. everyone's having a great time. There's a wedding going on in, in Berlin at, at the Grand Hyatt. Um, let's talk a little bit about the um, as much as we can uh, the Apple announcement, which is on Tuesday. Yeah. yeah any thoughts? So, other than the fact of, that you're not gonna, you're not right. going to buy one. Nope, no, but it's it's nice to sit out the Apple feeding frenzy. So yeah, we're going to have another crop of iPhones that that never changes. Uh, iOS 13 will drop as well, and now we have iPad OS, iPad which OS. is which is basically iOS. It's just got more multitasking options. Um, the interesting thing, you know, just the past couple of days for Apple, Google announced that they. they found a bunch of vulnerabilities in iOS. I saw that. I that, saw that story. had been exploited at scale in what's called a watering hole attack where you set up a site and that site uses this vulnerability to drop some code onto the phone of anyone who visits. And apparently the, the, these sites were run by the Chinese government to target uh, Muslim minorities. And uh, Saturday, Apple, Friday or Saturday, Apple posted this really kind a of very dismissive. Spirit, very spirited dismissal. A dismissive dismissal dismissive, and a lot of information security types I know were not happy with the tone of it like to to, to wave poo, it off poo, like poo it yeah I mean first of all Apple's dismissal didn't use the word China and we know Apple is already constrained you know if you have an iPhone in China 
you can't download VPN apps from the App Store that you can in the U.S. because the Chinese government said, get rid of those things. Right. So speaking of the Chinese government ordering people around, so um, yeah, are they going to mention that? Because they should. They talk a lot about the importance of privacy. Privacy also means knowing that you know, your phone is not going to get backdoored by a hostile government exploiting some vulnerability. And Apple says they did fix all these things. Google reported it to Apple, and Apple then turned around and patched very quickly. Well, I, you know, the, the interesting thing is, and, you know, just to raise this up maybe a few thousand feet, is that, you know, in your field where you're talking to executives, senior executives of companies, and you've interviewed some very senior people in your, in your career, you know, transparency is always a thing that the press appreciates, you know, that you're trying, you're being yeah. honest, you're addressing the problem. And, I, and to your point, I do think some people were taken back by the fact that this, you know, this disclosure, and let's, you know, Google's not innocent in this whole thing. The fact that they, they, re, they released their quote, quote, accusations um, uh, about the, the, this well, so problem to, to be clear, just so a few the, days before the announcement. Project mm, Zero is... Uh, an outfit Google set up basically after the, uh, what was that huge, Heartbleed. Mm -hmm. This huge vulnerability in open source code basically running almost every site in the world, which existed for two years because everybody thought, well, it's open source. Somebody must have, would have found a bug. Mm -hmm. Somebody didn't. And so they said, if we're gonna hire a bunch of researchers, give them money, tell them, go find bugs on other people's products. And they've done great work, um, so, I hope Apple doesn't see this as Google taking a shot at them because this is Google doing. Well, I think essentially that the what, QA work for Apple for no, free. I, and I, I don't disagree. <laughs> they could well, send a fruit basket or something to Google. <laughs> I, I doubt that will happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these are two companies that I think yeah. don't like each other. And, right. I, and by the way, that's this is not the only example of, yeah. of, of why there's a lot of friction sometimes between, uh, I'll say, Cupertino slash Sunnyvale and Mountain View. They, they, they just, yeah. They're just they just two companies right now that. You've got slowing smartphone growth. Yeah. Um, you know they they both there's lots of uh, focus and spotlights on both companies. I mean, over the last 48 hours now we hear yeah. about you know established uh, focused you know governmental investigations at both the federal yeah. and the state level. So yeah. that's probably not a good thing. And uh, you know as far as Apple's concerned, you know back to the, what the rumors are. You know if I was a uh, if I had a bet. I would bet that they probably don't come out with 5G phones on Oh, Tuesday. definitely not going to happen. I mean, yeah, well, but we don't know. But yeah, the I, highest, probably, stunned, high, cause, cause highest probability. I mean, they, they really can't because they yeah. don't really have a play. I yeah. mean, it's still, the, the, the Qualcomm stuff, hap has, uh, the settlement happened too recently for this for them to uh, engineer a, a Qualcomm solution. Yeah. The Intel acquisition, it's going to be another yeah, six months. Yeah, they bought Intel's modem business. You know, and you know what? You should feel fine buying a new iPhone if it doesn't have a 5G modem in it. Because you sound like the app. That's the yeah, Apple honestly, marketing message. That I would say for most people, you know, I, yeah, I just bought a phone that the Pixel 3a. It has no 5G radio. Yeah. I'm totally fine with that. Uh, you know, for things I do on a phone, LTE is fine. I don't disagree with that. I think that's very sober. I think I've done pretty well letting other people, you know finance the first generation of things but here's the thing you know is that in a slowing market and again with price points that are going to be easily over a thousand dollars once again to whatever yeah. they, these new phones are and yes there will be new camera technology i'm sure there'll be some um, 
AI capability um, with, yeah. with the, that are integrated in with the, uh, the with the multiple cameras. It's all kinds of rumors what they're going to be doing. I just don't know whether that will be enough. You know, if five G is not there. Uh, yeah. For to justify, hey, I'm going to go drop 1,200 bucks because I keep saying this over and over again to people. You know, the the median income in, in the United States, it's, of course, varies around the world. It's 55, uh, 56 or 57 thousand dollars for, for yeah. a family of four. A 1,200 dollar purchase is a big layout of cash. Yeah, I cannot overemphasize it. Everybody in America does not live in Silicon Valley where the comp salaries are high and. I think you know. We I used to talk about this over and over again that you know people can they can buy throwaway gadgets. Oh, I bought that. I didn't like it so much. It doesn't matter. Uh, back families when iPhones don't, were, were like that. only six hundred fifty dollars, I was saying you shouldn't buy one every year. Right. Like that, that's get or, two years out of it. Or take advantage of that wonderful Apple monthly payment plan. Yeah. And right. you haven't paid off half the phone, and they come out with a new model. Yeah. So. Again, I, I, it will be interesting to see what Apple does on Tuesday. I mean, there's there's some rumors about other devices that they may announce, but um, it'll be right. Um, yeah, they're supposed to do some kind of uh, something like the, the little tile things used to find things. Yes, so they're, they're going to have their version of that, which will help help you locate. Um, I guess your lost you, case. Your, your, your AirPods would be too small to attach to this thing, so it won't work for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm. Uh, I've, I've read those rumors too. I'm still. You know, if it's simply a, a Siri version of uh, Tile, you know, unless yeah. it does something remarkable and has battery life of 150 years, I'm, I'm not, I don't know whether it'll, uh, yeah. it's going to change the world. But it'll be interesting, and only because there's so much focus on the um, on the high-end smartphone business. The market obviously is slowing, and you know, it's not growing at 20, 30, 40 percent like it was a few years yeah. ago. So, but anyway, uh, we've gone over 30 minutes, and I want to make sure that. Um, I allow Rob to get back to a bar someplace. It's, Rob, not, it's time to get dinner. Actually, it's time, it's time to get uh, dinner. And uh, again, Rob, thank you for uh, participating in today's podcast. Um, please follow more insights and strategy on our social media uh, partner network, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And until next time, have a great weekend.